the thing that makes me more angrier than most is when people say, oh, well, I don't eat fruit because it's bad for you. You know, it's too high in sugar. Or I don't eat carrots because it's too high in sugar. Well, let me tell you, carrots and fruit ain't your problem, okay? You know, pizza and beer are your problem. So when I look at what is healthy, I'm looking at that foundation of, of that whole food nutrition. Is it a, a minimally processed food? You know, can you see the, the origins of the food in which it began? This is Living Your Big Bold Life Podcast, and I am your host, Bet Lucas. I am a mom of six crazy kids, I work as a VP in a fast-paced industry, and I've been on a health journey. But what does living your big, bold life even mean? Living boldly is having the courage to finally listen and do what your heart has been trying to tell you all along. Maybe it's to take back your health, write the book, go for the job, run the race. And I'm here to help you listen to that voice and to remind you to be you boldly. The world needs you. Amanda, I am thrilled to have you on Living Your Big Bold Life podcast. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much. I'm excited. It's so evident when experiencing all the material that you offer out there on social media and on the web that you are so passionate about living a healthy lifestyle. And I think a lot of your perspectives are bold and I can't wait to kind of dive into those today with you and just chat all things. But before we get started, Amanda, can you tell us a little bit about you and what brought you here today? And I know my listeners will be anxious to get to know you a little bit better. Well, uh, yes, my name is Amanda Nybert. Um, I'm a registered dietitian with a passion for health and wellness. And I spent nearly two decades working in a clinical hospital setting, specifically around weight loss and um, health and wellness management. And um, in 2017, I found myself feeling a little bit in a rut, um, like I had more to offer. I wanted to reach more people. And I took a leap of faith and kind of jumped in this kind of online space of health and wellness. And ended up 12 months later leaving my um, hospital gig and ever since then have been helping clients um, all around the world live their best life through my signature program called Lean, Living Energized and Nourished. And my biggest passion as a registered dietitian is to simplify nutrition because what I saw over and over in the clinical setting is that we continue to make healthy eating hard and confusing. And people feel so overwhelmed with what they should be doing or what they think they should be doing, that it leaves them doing nothing. So for the past four or five years, that's what I've been working on is to just simplify nutrition. I love the the word simple. To be honest, and a lot of people will say that this podcast has been a way they can kind of simplify a lot of things that used to feel very daunting. So I love that you focus on that. And I guess after being a registered dietitian and being in the hospitals, 
where did you see things go awry? What do you think, what are we doing wrong, Amanda? Because it seems like year upon year, we are getting more and more obese. We're getting on more and more medications. And yet the talk about health and wellness seems to be more and more present. What are we doing wrong? What do you see is is the problem out there and, and how are you trying to fix it? You know, I think the biggest mistake that we've made is making everyone think that they're special. That if you have diabetes, you should be following this type of nutritional recommendations. If you have hypertension, you should be following these recommendations. If you have Hashimoto's, you should follow these recommendations. And I think at the end of the day, what it comes down to is just healthy eating. You know, again, simplifying nutrition, but people feel so overwhelmed with their clinical diagnosis and maybe, you know, the very small special things that they need to tweak here, here and there that they become overwhelmed. And again, it just ends up that they're doing nothing. I, I also think that we make nutritional guidelines, you know, for specific disease states uh, again, too complicating and, and also unsustainable. Yes, if you're a diabetic and you eat a low-carb diet for the rest of your life, you're probably going to reverse your disease state. You know, you're going to come off your medications. You're going to be technically not a diabetic anymore. But living a low-carb diet every single day is unsustainable. So many diabetics will go to, you know, adopt a, a low-carb lifestyle for a couple of months and then over time, find them struggling to be, you know, um, successful at being consistent. And so when they feel like, well, I can't be consistent, then they go from eating 30 carbs to eating 400 carbs. So it's like we forgot to teach that middle ground, you know, that middle area of balance where we'll all see results with regards to carb management, macro management. You know, I focus a lot on macronutrients, which are carbohydrates, proteins and fats. Um, and really a dietary approach that applies to everyone. I love that you defined macros because I think in the health space, a lot of us use that term. And I think, again, kind of simplifying what are macros. And so can you repeat that one more time for the listeners? What are macros, Amanda? So macros is short for macronutrients. And there are actually four macronutrients, carbohydrates, proteins, fats, do you know the fourth macronutrient? Not to put you on the spot. No. What is the fourth <laughs> macronutrient? So a lot of people don't realize, but the fourth macronutrient is actually alcohol. Alcohol. Well, I is did not know that. And because alcohol is actually a macronutrient is why it is processed in the body in kind of a very unique way and can have, you know, mainly negative impacts on your health and, and weight loss, which we can talk about in the future. When we started out in 1977, when the first nutritional guidelines were created, it was all based on calories. It was all based on energy, you know, energy in versus energy out. The old, you know, um, saying, eat less, exercise more. And what we know today is that absolutely, in a negative way, oversimplifies, you know, our metabolism. Um, and what we didn't have a good understanding back in 1977 that we do now is the endocrine system. Um, you know, hormones that really impact the way we burn fat or store fat. And so over the last couple of decades, now that we understand that 
endocrine system. We understand that insulin is the number one fat-storing hormone in the body. We understand that cortisol is the number two fat-storing hormone in the body. We realize that not all calories are created equal. And so that's why it's important that we step away from that caloric equation. Now, yes, calories will always matter, but we've really got to look down to the macronutrient level because the way in which your calories are balanced out matter more. Totally. Amanda, another thing that I think you point out that I think is a confu- can confuse people, and I think you do a really good job at this, is that what is healthy eating? And I think today there's so many definitions on what someone defines as healthy food, right? It, you know, you yes. talk to one person and they're like, well, healthy to me is low carb. And then you talk to another person and healthy to me is vegan. Oh no, healthy to me is high protein. And I do love the concept of bringing it back to nutrients because once you bring it back to the nutrients in the food, it kind of takes away from the argument on what dietary you know, dogma you follow. You can just say, okay, sure, follow this, follow that. But what nutrients are you focusing on? When someone comes to you and says, Amanda, okay, great. I think I'm eating healthy, but maybe they don't even know. Where do you start? How do you define healthy eating? You know, I love that question because the notion that there are good foods and bad foods, I think is very problematic, you know, again, in our society right now, because there is a place for all foods. And, you know, it's exactly what you're saying. What is healthy? And I think a lot of times, you know, people are shocked when I say, listen, to me, healthy is going home, opening a jar of marinara sauce, boiling a pot of pasta and tossing a green salad. You know, to me, that's healthy because just the act of cooking at home is healthy. You know, um, your meatloaf, your mashed potatoes and your green beans, that's healthy. And, And I think when we start to look at these very specific dietary recommendations like low carb and, you know, keto and things like that, that's when we start to villainize whole food nutrition. The thing that makes me more angrier than most is when people say, oh, well, I don't eat fruit because it's bad for you. You know, it's too high in sugar or I don't eat carrots because it's too high in sugar. Well, let me tell you, carrots and fruit ain't your problem. Okay. You know, pizza and beer are your problem. So uh, when I look at what is healthy, I'm looking at that foundation of of that whole food nutrition. Is it a a minimally processed food? You know, can you see the, the origins of the food in which it began? You know, regardless of that kind of macronutrient count, then the next level would be looking at that, you know, kind of macro macronutrient level. I don't think a healthy meal would be pasta, breadsticks, and tiramisu. You know, that's going to be way too heavy on your carbohydrate. But I think a healthy meal could be pasta with a meaty marinara sauce, you know, olive oil and a side salad. You know, that's creating a, a, a meal that has a lot more balance, you know, equal parts, carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. Um, so that's really kind of how I look at what's healthy, what's not, and kind of help my clients define that term. I love that you started out the description by saying, like, making it at home. And I really do, you know, I am someone who loves to eat out. 
I am not as good a cook as my husband. And yet the more we can cook at home, the more we can just start with really simple, basic foods, like you mentioned, the more likely we're going to eat and make better choices. And I sometimes think that it's been interesting to watch because I, I watch my husband and he's just, he's always cooking something. And I love when health professionals are really saying, just try to just make it easy on yourself. Don't don't try to make it super complicated. The more we can just cook from some of the basic foods, not out of a package, as minimally processed as possible, we're probably going to make some, some better choices. And I love that you focus on that. And I also love that you talk about not vilifying fruit and certain vegetables just because they have, you know, maybe a higher natural sugar or a higher uh, carbohydrate content. And, you know, I, I again think that there are times when, sure, if the only fruit I'm eating was bananas and I'm not eating any vegetables, sure, maybe rein in the, the bananas a little bit. But like you said, that's probably not our problem. Our problem is, is that we're eating too many French fries. Skittles and and M&Ms. Skittles and (laughs) M&Ms. Yeah. And ice cream. I I hear so many clients that are like, I have such a big sweet tooth and I do so good for two or three days. And then I find myself, like you said, in in a pint of ice cream and I'll, I'll ask them, well, have you tried eating an apple, you know, a peanut butter or having a bowl of berries? And they're like, well, no, because those are those are high in sugar. And I, and I always say to them, but you skip over these very healthy, high fiber, high um, micronutrients, high antioxidant foods. And then it, it leads to you binging on, you know, nutrient lacking crap. And so mm-hmm. it's like, I wonder what if you just allowed yourself one or two servings of fruit a day, do you think that you'd get to day three and need to be in a pint of ice cream? You probably wouldn't. And I always say a lot of times when we crave something like sugar or salt, you know, those kind of innate cravings, Typically, it's our body asking not for macronutrients. It's not looking for carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. It is absolutely looking for micronutrients, vitamins, and minerals. You know, we are a nation that is overfed yet still undernourished because we eat most of our food is lacking in actual nourishment. It only has, you know, macronutrients, it doesn't have the micronutrients. So, I see across the board in my clients when when I give them, you know, privilege and unlimited use of, you know, fruits and vegetables that because it's addressing that micronutrient need, those cravings are much less. Yeah, I think you have nailed it and I hope that if any of you are kind of struggling with that kind of binging mentality or the issues where you're doing what you define as really well on your diet for a few days and then on day three, you just lose it and, you know, you're rating the ice cream and all the junk food and all the chips. 
maybe it's your body asking for a little bit more balance those other days. And I, I think that's such a, an important point. And maybe it, it is, hey, have a handful of blueberries instead, and maybe that's not going to get there. Another thing that's really, I found, is dark chocolate can play a really nice role for me where I can have like a square or two of a really high percentage dark chocolate. And that just like hits my sweet tooth just what I need. And it really prevents me from wanting other junk. So when you can find those little things that kind of check, I like to say like check the box, Mm -hmm. I do think it can make huge, huge differences. And I, I do think there are people out there that, that can live a low carb lifestyle forever and it fits them. And I think it's great, but I think what you said is is so true for the majority of people out there. There's there's somewhere in between. There's a little bit more of a balance there. And I think what the the low carb movement did well is that it pointed out that we as a society and as a world are eating too many processed carbs. We are, yeah, right? There's absolutely. there's too much crap. But 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 it also kind of demonized some foods that really aren't as bad as we made them out to be. You know, I, I love some of the the nutritional people that I follow. You know, a lot of them have said, you know, like a potato, it's been kind of overly vilified. Now, yes, if you're if you're frying it in seed oils and you're it's French fries or it's potato chips, okay. But a boiled potato isn't that bad. Really, unless you're lathering it in, you know, a pound of sour cream, (laughs) (laughs) which also sounds good. But (laughs) yeah, and again, I think that that goes to you know the the whole low carb kind of craze. I mean, I always say, you know, I, I talk about this in my TED talk that I did in March about the number one reason why dieters fail is I say you know, some of the biggest issues that we have with nutritional guidelines is that we've set them up always around the fear of macronutrients. It began with the fear of fat in the the 70s and 80s, 90s. And then we realized, well, we were really wrong about that. And now it's translated to the fear of carbohydrates. And again, when you instill nutritional guidelines based on the fear of macronutrients, it feeds into that all or nothing mindset where you think if you, you either get no carbs or if that, you know, you just un, unable to sustain that, you just eat all the carbs. And people forget that there's actually a middle ground. Like you can eat 150 to 200 carbs a day and still lose weight, you know, especially if your other macronutrients like your protein and fats are, you know, in the right ratio. So, Um, you know, I mean, again, that comes down to the problems that we have with the nutritional guidelines that we set forth, you know, they really feed into that all or nothing mindset. People don't understand that middle ground. Right. I think you're exactly right. And I I think another one that now in certain groups has unfortunately been uh, overly criticizes protein in certain uh, areas. And I think that that is so extremely sad. And I, you know, I talk about that a lot on this podcast because even, even on my own journey, 
you know, there was a period of time where I didn't realize that protein was a nutrient-dense food. I did not know it. If you would have asked me, Amanda, I would have said, oh, vegetables, oh, fruit. And not saying that that those those don't have nutrients as well, but I did not think that protein was a nutrient-dense food, and I don't think I'm alone there. And I think that's another area where people people, people are confused, again, yeah, I mean, to eat healthy. Confuse, I mean, we confuse people based on the information that we put out because you've got half the camp saying that too much protein is bad for you, and then you've got the other camp saying that low protein is bad for you. So which is it? And, right. you know, I'm, I'm actually, I'm glad you bring up protein because it is such a polarizing, it is the most polarizing macronutrient because people have so much to say about where we source our protein. And I think that that's where the message on protein has gotten so muddled, okay, is that you know, there's one side that says protein has to be from plant-based, you know, in order to be healthy, you got to eat plant-based protein. And there's another side that says, you know, well, we've been living on animals since our existence. So animal protein is okay for you as well. But the message that people are missing is that protein is the only macronutrient that we must consume in adequate amounts on a daily basis. And without adequate protein, you cannot metabolize fat. And here's the deal. I don't care where you get your protein from, whether it be a chickpea or a cow, your protein needs are still the same. And that's the message that people don't hear. Um, and, and honestly, that's what I see the biggest issue in the clients that I work with, especially women, is that we're so fearful of protein. We think it's bad for us that you're just not consuming enough kind of across the board. Um, so my number one suggestion to your listeners, if, if weight loss is your goal, if energy is your goal, you know, vitality is your goal, start with your protein intake. Are you consuming enough protein on a daily basis? And it's just such an important message for us to hear. And I'm so grateful that you said it because like you said, I think it's been kind of wrongfully demonized and so many of us are are thinking we're walking around being healthy and yet we're not pursuing protein and yeah. we're not getting adequate amounts and we are wondering why we feel crappy our energy's low and we can't lose weight and it's amazing when people just try for a little bit longer say hey for 30 days i want you to pursue protein build your plate around that protein doesn't mean you only have to eat protein, but just try to push your percentage a little bit and watch the results follow. Come see me in a few weeks. It's it's amazing. And, and uh, I really, until I experienced it for myself, I don't think I would have believed it. And I, I just, I made that mistake for, for too long. And now I'm, I'm out there really passionate about that. And the other challenge I'll say that's my bold perspective to the listeners is that if you are wanting more of a plant-based approach, just make sure that your plant-based approach of pursuing protein isn't just through processed foods, though. And I, I would yeah. say that compare, you know, uh, even I'm going to call it out, compare your Beyond Meat burger to hamburger. 
and look at the ingredients on that package. And then what's the ingredients in that hamburger? And just just a little pushback that no matter what dietary lifestyle you follow, if the foods that you're building your plate around are mostly processed, that doesn't always make it more environmentally friendly or or healthier. <laughs> and so yeah. I, mm. I love just, again, kind of picking foods that have simple ingredients, you know, picking foods that are just didn't actually take any ingredients to make it. Hey, an egg, eat an egg, eat some hamburger, eat some chicken. Those are pretty, it's a pretty basic, but I just feel like sometimes in a, in pursuit, I mean, I'm guilty of it. I, you know, buying the, the latest diet packaged foods, we all did it back in, you know, we've all done it at some point in our life. And then if we really would have just looked at the package and gone, oh, ew. <laughs> Now, when you are working with people and trying to help them, what are some other things that you find really help them, kind of your top tips that help them on their health journey? Um, Beyond protein. I mean, that's usually where I always start with clients. Secondary will be kind of like that macro management, understanding that you know, the makeup of your calories matter the most. And what we know to be true, just since we are talking a lot about low carb diets and heat, you know, just different dietary approaches. When we look at all the research that's been done on what's the best diet for weight loss, we know that both diets went out. Okay. And we know that it doesn't necessarily matter where your carbohydrates or fats fall with regards to low versus high, as long as you're getting adequate protein and you're staying within a caloric deficit. And I think for a lot of people, that is something that can be very empowering to hear because it allows them to see, you know, if you don't innately love to eat on a lower carb side, then you can be as successful eating on a lower fat side, as long as you focus on adequate protein and caloric deficit. So it gives you that flexibility to eat the way that you want to eat uh, and, and see that balance. The, the third pillar is definitely going to be about food quality, which you have touched on. You know, there is this kind of dietary approach called if it fits your macros. And you'll see like a lot of bodybuilders or, you know, physique people kind of touting this on social media where they're eating, you know, bowls of Lucky Charms and ice cream and kind of all these things. Um, and, you know, their notion is, well, it fits my macros. And for someone who's in the gym, you know, three, four, five hours a day, you can probably get away with consuming more high processed foods. But for the average person, the quality of your food matters. And inflammation is really what is driving um, our obesity epidemic as, as well as our chronic disease epidemic in the United States. And so when we can look to reduce foods that contribute the most inflammation, the top two being sugar and alcohol, I would personally put number three and four is gluten and dairy. Once we can, you know, eliminate those, not, well, I shouldn't say eliminate, reduce our consumption because I'm all about an 80-20 principle. You know, 80% of the time you're eating the foods that fuel your body and fuel your goals. And then 20% of the time you're eating whatever the hell you want, because that's about sustainability, flexibility, and moderation. But when I see clients, you know, utilizing those four top inflammatory foods the most, 
they feel better. Their bloating's gone. Their energy goes through the roof. They sleep better. And that all plays a role in, you know, your progress moving forward. The last two kind of pillars would be activity. And I'm just talking about walking, you know, diet is 80%. You can't out exercise a bad diet. And I do feel like people use their inability to exercise, their despise of exercise, their lack of time to exercise as an excuse not to focus on their dietary choices. When in reality, your diet is playing the biggest role in your overall health and wellness. But simple movement has a huge impact. And people get really upset when I say sitting is the new smoking, but it is. You know, we are sitting more today than we ever have been. So simply making your goal to move a little bit more throughout the day can have a huge impact, specifically after your meals. You know, simply taking a 10 minute walk after your biggest meals can reduce your blood sugar response by 20 to 30%. And for some people, that's the difference between an excessively elevated blood sugar versus a normal blood sugar level, just that simple movement after a meal. And then the last one is just, you can't ignore um, the cortisol impact. You know, if you're not sleeping well, you ain't going to lose weight. You ain't going to feel your best. You know, if you're over-exercising, your, your progress is going to be in trouble. If you're overly stressed, you know, due to work, relationships, home, financial, that stuff matters. So taking into account those non-dietary, non-exercise factors that play a huge role in your overall health. I love everything you tackled there. And I just think that those are so powerful for people to kind of hear. And starting with your first point that if you're more, if you, you have more of an affinity towards a low fat diet, or you have more of an affinity towards kind of a lower carb diet, either one can can work for you. And I think that is an empowering notion, but really it's getting your protein percentage dialed in and then figuring out kind of which path fits you best. You know, I have always been more on the low carb side of things. I find I have more of an affinity to fat, but what I notice for some is that they don't, they're the opposite. They have more of an affinity to low fat foods, but they like to eat a little bit higher carb. And I remember when that light bulb went off that it's really the dangerous part is when you're combining that fat with that carb and that all of those foods are the kind of kryptonite foods as some people call them, you know, the donuts, the chips. Just think of any time you combine a fat with a, with a carb and you can like eat it forever and, and there's no stopping you. And I think that's why for me, I realized that I love nuts, but you know, nuts are one of the few foods in nature that combine a fat and a carb. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I kind of realized that, I'm like, oh, that's why I could overeat those dang things. (laughs) Right? Right? So I think you're right that that's super empowering when someone can kind of like realize that. And I do know some people that follow, I think it's called Trim Healthy Mama Eating Approach, where they will isolate it by meal. So they may have one meal where it's a low fat, higher carb meal, and then they may have another meal where it's a little bit higher fat, but lower carb. 
And I hope I said those right. I think I did. And so they'll kind of isolate those, but they'll still focus on their protein. And I've seen a lot of people with good success there. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I mean, I use a strategy in my program, carb cycling, you know, where we do, you know, two, three low carb days during the week and then balance them out, you know, with regular carb days on the weekends. And it allows you to see, and again, probably the main reason why I implement carb cycling is simply to take the fear away from carbohydrates, you know, to show people similar to what that other program is doing is that, you know, you, you can flex back and forth and still be successful. You don't have to be you know, um, only doing one strategy at a time um, in order to find success, you know. And so I look at it as it's a lot easier to be low carb, you know, Monday through Friday, Monday through Thursday, than it is to be, you know, low carb Friday, Saturday and Sunday. So teaching my clients how to flex between those two different days and then still see results gives them a lot of freedom. Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to write a review and push that subscribe button. I also hope you will come hang out with me on Instagram, Facebook, and my new website, vetlucas.com. And remember, friends, be you boldly. The world needs you.